Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. My name is Zachary Tinker. And this is episode 63 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 63, we are pleased and honored to welcome as our special guest, Zachary Tinker, who comes from the Great Lakes, Great Lakes District. Uh, he's chair of the CQLT, the CMA Quizzing Leadership Team, and he also is a leader in the Great Lakes uh, District. And he is here to talk to us about an upcoming very cool meet called, well, I don't know if there's, this is not maybe the official name of it, but I like to refer to it as the Internet Chanel's uh, meet. Uh, although, I don't know, if you can't say that quite fast, that's perfectly reasonable. So we're going to talk to Zachary about what that meet is and what we hope it to be and all that kind of stuff. And we're going to quiz uh, Zachary on a few different highlights about that meet. And then we are going to, uh, the trio of us, will go through a series of marked questions coming out of our last uh, quiz meet uh, that was the inter-district meet between uh, P&W, CMD, Westcan, and Metro, which was uh, enormous amounts of fun. So with that said, uh, welcome, uh, Zachary, and uh, tell us a little bit about this upcoming meet. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be able to talk about uh, internationals. I have to say it really slowly or else I just slaughter it, and it, who knows what I'm trying to say. But yes, internationals, we're uh, really, really excited about this. This is a um, co-district sponsored invitational summer event that we're having with uh, Pacific Northwest, Western Pennsylvania, Metro, and Great Lakes. Um, and everyone is invited. All the districts are invited to this. Same rules apply for eligibility as would be for internet uh, internationals. Um, see, I'm already confusing the two. So internationals uh, eligibility is districts are allowed to send as many teams as they feel would be competitive at internationals. And we're going to keep the same uh, eligibility requirements for internationals this year. Um, it's going to be the same weekend that would have ended uh, internationals this year, so July 10th through the 12th. Um, we'll start at Friday. We'll start at um, 4, p 4 p.m. for the Pacific side, and then we will start 7 p.m. Eastern side. And uh, we're really excited about this. In fact, we have a upcoming Zoom meeting on May 22nd at 8 p.m. Eastern um, to answer questions on how this works. So district coordinators, coaches, um, district leaders, we, we really want you to be there so we can help answer questions and kind of give you uh, a breakdown of how it, how it will flow, how it will look, and just answer any other questions that you have. That's really cool. So if somebody's listening and they want to join in on that Zoom call, what's the best way to get connected to that? Yeah, you can send uh, an email. Either uh, Griffin here could take an email or you can send it to me. Uh, my email is zachary.tinker at riverwoodalliance.com. Uh, you can catch me there or you can uh, try to find me on Facebook. That works as well. Um, uh, or through the Alliance Quizzing page, I can be contacted that way as well. This is awesome. And we've already had some people interested in details about the the upcoming meet, Zach. Uh, one of them is what is the planned material distribution for uh, the meet? Great question. We're going to keep it the exact same as what would be for international. So equal distribution, evenly weighted throughout the entire uh, material this year. Um, so nothing strange, nothing weird, exactly what you would be expecting for internationals. Very cool. And to, to nitpick, it's not necessarily evenly weighted. It's just not weighted at all. So like yes. longer chapters will probably be more represented, but we'll let the randomness reign. Exactly. Yes. So this is going to be a, you know, looks like a three-day meet, uh, the 10th, 11th, and 12th, uh, you know, a fair number of teams from all over the place. Certainly we're hoping uh, every district participates, but what are some of the, uh, what are some of the sort of the schedule highlights for each day or sort of major events that you're hoping to accomplish during the meet? Yeah, so on Friday, we're going to do the same sort of thing that we would at internationals. We'll introduce everyone. We'll kind of get that started and kicked off. Um, We'll answer any last-minute questions that we have going into this, and then we'll get right into quizzing for that evening. Um, we'll get a couple quizzes in and get everyone kind of going and used to used to what everything is like. For for a lot of people, this will be the first time that they do uh, internet online Bible quizzing. It's new for a lot of people. Um, we know some districts have been playing around with it, having fun, and learning so much more than um, we expected to learn in this small amount of time frame. But we're really excited for uh, for everything. On Saturday, we'll jump into quizzing again in the morning. We'll quiz all day long. We will have different uh, break times worked in for different fun things that we can do together. We know we're not in person, but we can still have fun over uh, over different chats and, and Zoom and everything like that. 
um, we'll work in some fun games and, and maybe even some competition things in there. That's not cuisine. Uh, Saturday, or that was Saturday. So on Sunday then, uh, we'll let everyone go to church. Of course, we don't want to uh, overstep that. So we're going to start in the afternoon. And then in the afternoon, we'll kind of wrap up the, the weekend where we will have um, the finals tournament. We'll make sure that's live streamed to Facebook so anyone can watch it easily. Um, you guys can share it with your family so you can be part of it that way as well. And all your friends from your district can watch as well. And then we'll, we'll finish up with awards and uh, we'll, we'll be done for uh, 2020 internationals. That sounds awesome. Do you have um, anything decided as far as the structure of the meet and any changes from our, I guess, normal format of internationals each year? Yeah, it'll be very similar. We still have the prelims uh, where you try to figure out what your rankings are. Instead of doing a standard um, breakdown and brackets at the end, we'll do a, a dual top nine bracket. And so that will allow 18 teams all compete for the, the top three uh, places where they go into finals. There's some details with that, and we can discuss that at the May 22nd meeting um, for anyone that would have questions about that. But it's a really cool uh, system where it allows a lot of people to quiz a lot longer than usual. Yeah, that's one of that is that is one of the benefits of virtual quizzing is you're not as limited by physical space. Um, we had seven rooms going at a time, which I don't know of any districts that really do something quite at that scale. I think CMD does ten rooms at a time, but I'm not sure any other district rivals that. So it was kind of crazy to have seven rooms going at once. Yeah, absolutely. I know in Great Lakes we we typically run three to four, so having seven and even at internationals we top at four. So this is uh, definitely exciting. Uh, being able to have that opportunity yeah in pnw we typically run about four rooms and then we uh, run down we close down to three uh some you know halfway through saturday or or a third of the way through saturday or depending upon uh what our schedule looks like uh this last meet the uh the interdistrict meet that i was talking about uh we ran seven rooms which was uh that was just crazy uh, <laughs> it was really cool though because i mean it was like everyone was there i mean there was a lot of quizzers involved and yet everyone was almost always quizzing like you would have a buy every so often uh here and there but i think maybe one in prelims maybe two in prelims but no actually i think only one in prelims so the entire rest of the time in prelims you were quizzing so i mean it was it was great that uh, people got to have that much exposure and experience in the in the process so uh it's pretty cool uh, seeing how that can, you know, pretty much infinitely scale. Uh, you just need, you know, quality officials to make it happen. Quiz masters, answer judges, and and scorekeepers, and so forth. Yeah, I think it could be a kind of a wild thing to do near the beginning of each year. You could almost schedule a weekend where you just have tons and tons of officials willing to quote unquote quiz master, and you could have anyone new just like wander into rooms and get a really quick feel for things. And I, I mean, I know that every district does, well, I don't know that every district does this, but I would imagine lots of districts do something in person to kind of get new people acclimated, but this would be a great, like no cost way. Uh, don't have to find a free weekend. Um, in addition. Yeah. And actually that's a great point. There is no cost to this. So there's no cost for flights. There's no cost for gas. If you're driving all the distance, um, this is a really good year for with everything else going on, but um, it's really exciting that we can do something like this. Who knew that Zoom and uh, Slack would be able to, to help with Bible quizzing all the years ago that they were created? I know their their developers never even thought about something like this. So it's really exciting how we can turn this into uh, a, a tool for Bible quizzing. Absolutely. Moving on to our next show topic, we have some marked questions from PNW's Meets. I think these are kind of split between the the most recent virtual interdistrict meet and previous meets. But the first one comes from Second Peter chapter three verse one, and it's a chapter reference. I have written what, and the answer as written is both of them as reminders. And the question was raised: um, Should the phrase as reminders be included in the answer? The first comment was, eh, probably not super important or necessary to be included in the answer. It's kind of a, an add-on clause. And we had some agreement on that. But then someone said, okay, if the answer then is just both of them, well, them is a pronoun that we would love to clarify. But them really refers to letters. Um, but 
letters is not in context anywhere. It's at the end of this chapter. Um, so it's more of like an interpretation meaning clarification to letters, but we can't do that in quizzing. So then would we um, require the clarification of the plural pronoun them to the singular word letter? Because at the beginning of the verse it says, this is now my second letter to you. Thoughts from Griffin or Zach? This is an awesome question. I just, there are so many different ways to slice this. This is so great. So like, then the question of course becomes, well, with the word, well, I mean, this is not one of the questions that you listed, but it popped into my mind with the word both and talking about letters as plural, does this become a multiple answer question? Now, I don't believe it does uh, because mm. both is just a single word, right? But it does, let's throw multiple answers into the mix of, of uh, you know, que questions about this question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, honestly... <laughs> There's there's so much about this question that makes me want to just not write it um, and just delete <laughs> and just delete the question entirely and save the trouble. So going to your first your first point, like yeah, as reminders is not required. I don't think it should be required. I don't think it's a bad thing if it's included. But I mean, if you're going to make the argument that as reminders probably should be included, then I think the same argument applies to the entire rest of the verse, right? Um, both of them as reminders to stimulate you to hold some thinking. That's sort of like all these subordinate clauses of uh, coming off of them, right? So yeah, I mean, I totally agree as reminders and everything else isn't really required, but you could. I think you could make the argument that you could just throw them in there as a question writer. Um, but in terms of clarification, I just don't think you can clarify something that's not just a verbatim part of the material. I, I think, I think, I think at that point we we're mm. we're sort of opening the door to this slippery slope of, of interpretation. Um, but that being said, Zach, what do you think? I don't know. I was going to jump in and just say, this is a messy one. Um, because it all depends on some of your inflection in this. I've written what, both of them, or is it I've written reminders? So that's kind of where you can get into that argument of, well, which part um, is he talking about there? But then you do get into it as I, I would agree both of them would be sufficient for the answer. Um, and you can leave out reminders. But I can definitely see in the mind of a quizzer, especially a younger quizzer, just thinking, well, yeah, reminders is what I was going for. So that was what my first thought was with this question. Um, and they may not even get to both of them as reminders because they're just looking for a first like solid noun that they're looking for in that sentence. Would that change it to an interrogative then? I would think so. I would, yeah, I think that would turn it into an interrogative. What would be the question in that scenario? I think it would I've, still, I'd have to look at the context, but I think it would still be I've written what and I've written uh, reminders. Well, it, I mean, changing what the answer would be does not change mm -hmm. what the question type should be. Like, I have written is still going to be a chapter. Oh, that chapter. Rights. Oh, I see it there. Sorry about that. No. Hmm. I'm thinking if, if like, you're, if you're going to require reminders, you have to expand the question. Like, I have written both of them as what? Um, and then, mm -hmm. then, 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 yeah, then reminders is just the obvious answer there. Mm -hmm. To me, I think I have written what is such a really good chapter reference question that I want to write it. And I think the clearest answer is just both of them. No clarification required. Next best would be both of them as reminders. Next best would be both of them as reminders to simulate you to wholesome thinking. And then next best after that would be both of them, them clarified to letter. Mm. Um, I don't think there's any valid way you can require a clarification of them to letters because that's not there, not in context. Um, but I think simplest is better in this case. And I would just write both of them. There's no re requirement on the question writer to require every pronoun to be clarified. It's just that it's very useful because it often adds meaning. And I think here it would add meaning if there was a really simple and clear clarification that we could require. But I, because we don't have that, I just wouldn't require one. Now, that does bring up an interesting point. I think I forget who I was talking to about this. Was it uh, was it Jeremy or you, Scott? Or I, I forget who I was talking about this with. But the idea of saying if you can clarify in if you're the question writer, if you can require clarification, you should. I mean, that's not a rule, but it's sort of a maybe a guideline. But uh, do you agree or disagree with that uh, philosophy? I do, but I also don't want to make it overly difficult on the quizzer. So to me, I'm I'm only requiring pronouns in the answer. Um, I don't really know if there, I don't think there's a way we could require it from the question because that could be read out loud by the quizmaster. 
Yeah. It would be awkward for the quiz master to read the whole question. The quizzer answers it, and then a clarification is required from the question. I don't yeah, know if that's, that's explicit. Awkward. I don't think that's explicitly invalid, but it should be, and I don't think I've ever seen anyone write it that way. But if there's like an answer that's a, pro- a pronoun, I try to require it unless, I don't know, it's five verses away or it's like not super clear. But, and then in the same vein, if, if the only question I can write, the answer is like me or them or us, and I, there's no clarification in context, I just won't write that question because it's so vague of an answer. It's hard to know if the, what the quizzer gives me is that incorrect or if it's enough to be correct. And so I just will not write questions where the only possible answer is a pronoun that cannot be clarified. What do you think is, do you think it might be possible to challenge on the, because I mean, you, you went through your ranking of, of preference of, of questions and picking the, the, the lowest preference of, of question, which I agree. I agree your order of, of preferencing, mm-hmm. um, but picking the, the lowest order of preferencing, um, I have written uh, what both of them, them clarified to letter. Would you entertain a challenge about plural versus non-plural? No, I would entertain a challenge in it being misleading. Hmm. Okay. Walk me through that. Well, I don't want to be crazy literal with the rule book. Um, ju- like the fact that it does not say that clarifying a plural pronoun or a, a plural or non-plural pronoun to the opposite type um, <laughs> doesn't say that that's invalid, but it stands to reason that you just shouldn't do that if you can help it. In this case, you can't re- uh, clarify them to letters, which is the meaning that you would want to clarify it to. Um, but I think letter is a clear enough answer and is right there in that verse. It's not like two verses back or even one verse back. So I think it's clear enough. Um, a quizzer could try to convince me that it is super misleading that one is plural and one's not. Um, but I think at the point that I've wrestled with this as a question writer and written it, I wouldn't really want to accept a challenge on a misleading ground. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, and here's another wrinkle. Letter is a unique word. So if they say, if the quizzer answers letters and it wasn't a unique word, let's say letter was not a unique word in this case, you could accept their answer as correct. But since it is a unique word that is singular, they have to say the singular word if you request the clarification. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, that's one thing I, I teach my quizzers as they're coming out and early early years of quizzing is take all the cues from the quiz master you can if it was the question plural was it singular you can rule out a lot of questions so through this that that definitely brings up a valid point of it is really tricky because i i teach my quizzers the exact opposite of that i say follow along the grammar should always be there but here's a great case where it wouldn't necessarily be there if you if you use that level of progression yeah and the only reason that i would relax that requirement is because it's in the answer so it's not going to confuse them Mm-hmm. As far as like providing a question, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But it's still sense. it's still borderline. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. The next one that we have is from Second Peter two twenty, and I am remembering this for the first time too. Oh, okay. So the question is: worse off at the end than they were at the beginning when? And the answer to the when is: if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome. And this was written as a multiple answer, and I questioned whether or not it is a multiple answer. And I think this is the tough case where um, when is the interrogative, or the answer is an if clause, and I've Mm -hmm. seen questions where the answer is an if clause written with a when interrogative and with a what interrogative. Um, I think the when is a little bit better, but it's tough because it's not as clear that we're talking about a point in time. It's Mm -hmm. more like a a hypothetical situation, you know? Yeah, that's a really tricky one. It only seems, to me, my first glance at that, it definitely seems like half the question is a when and half the question is uh, another another one there. But then you you do get into case if is a weird word when you come into questions like that. Interesting. So I don't think it can be a multiple answer question if I want to be consistent with my former self, because the words, if they don't repeat after the and, in other words, the, the prior to the and and after the and are not directly interchangeable or grammatically interchangeable. Yeah. And I go back and forth on this. Um, like let's just take the, the answer part, um, entangled in it and are overcome. Um, 
someone could say, like, if you wrote the question, and are again, what? Um, well, one answer is entangled in it, but then the next time it's are overcome and not are again overcome, so you can't transfer that first part onto the second part. But I think the again is implied enough that you can write and are again what as a multiple answer. Now, I don't think that this is exactly the same situation here because it it is more of a a clause setting things off. But I don't I do not necessarily require the exact same word wording wording to preface both the first and the second answer for it to be a valid multiple answer, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it, it needs to be exact. So like for your example, are what, right? Again, entangled in it and are overcome. Are The first are is part of the question, not the answer, but I would consider that to be perfectly fine in terms of sort of my, you know, interchangeability statute. It's not really a rule. It's just sort of a, a guideline. Um, but there's something about the if they that uh i don't know takes it a little bit too far for me i i i'm hard i'm trying having a hard time explaining that uh exactly why but i mean at the same time this is also i mean it's it's one of those valid but fairly confusing uh questions yeah and you can write it better right so you can just write an interrogative that's worse off at the end than what um because you can't write the multiple answer which would be clearer worse off at the end than they were at the beginning if they what because the verse is like flipped right but that right. would be a, a super super clear multiple answer and much preferable but we can't write it that way there's no need to force a multiple answer um out of this phrase uh, you can just write an interrogative that tests this part of the material and how this phrase starts in the exact same way yeah well and i know you guys are are, are well i know scott and i'm assuming zachary you you are uh, comfortable with you know, uh, breaking, uh, the flow pattern, I guess, uh, you know, starting with, they are, and then the answer coming in, uh, before they are, I have a tendency of, I mean, that's a perfectly valid, uh, uh, way to write a question. It's just always, I found it kind of, um, mentally interrupty to have to do that mm. as opposed to just having something directly flow one way or the other. So here's a question, Griffin, how is a split multiple answer structurally different from, like requ requiring a pronoun clarification or the answer to a situation question that comes from non-contiguous material to the question? Well, practically there's not much. I mean, but I think it's, it's the, it's sort of the suffix answer, if that makes any sense. Right. So like when I am, when I start with the question, if you get the question out, the person flows from that question to reciting the material and then if there needs to be a what is your question or if there needs to be a, you know, complete the reference to a quote question or whatever it happens to be like to me or clarify your pronoun to me, that's kind of like it's it's the OK, you got that correct. Now there's a suffix thing. And, and again, right, like I'm not I'm not arguing that like having a split multiple answer is not legal. It's perfectly legal. Uh, and in fact, there's some pretty good questions that are written from it. It's just I I don't know. Griffin feels uncomfortable with, not uncomfortable, that's not the right word. Griffin just doesn't like them. <laughs> and I, I can't explain why. <laughs> just, I just don't like them. Do you have any thoughts to interject here, Zach? No, I, I do understand. I, I'm very much a, I like the flow of things. Kind of, Griffin, you're starting to talk into that. Uh, my brain just works that way. So I just picture myself as a quizzer, and I would have been not happy getting this question and getting my brain all shuffled around. Um, and so I, I usually try to think of that when I look at questions is with their validity or if they're uh, well written. And this one, this one starts to starts to really mess with me just because it is such a strange when question because I'm still stuck on that first part. This really doesn't seem like a like a when. Um, but yeah, no, I, I that I, those would be my thoughts on that one. Yeah, when is a tough one because in quizzing we use what pretty ubiquitously to mean like what are multiple qualities of mm -hmm. um and when you just can't use it in as loose of a sense but there are times like in the material it says at dawn mm -hmm. on the third day of the week you know and it's like well yeah. for a when it's two different descriptors of the when even though i know that a when can only be a single point in time i kind of want this to be a multiple answer mm -hmm. but asking it as a what doesn't really get you to a multiple answer either. Yeah. So those, those ones are tough for me where, yeah, it's one point in time, but two very different descriptors of it. And that kind of gets into your point of forcing the multiple. If it's not there in a nice solid form, my 
my vote is always to write it as an interrogative or as a different type of question um, and, and go that route. Yep, and most of the time you can. Sometimes for those whens, there's no clean way to write it with a different interrogative requiring the same information. Because mm-hmm. um, usually you can take a multiple answer and just add a little bit more to the question and make it a very clear interrogative. But oh, whens yeah. often make, make you go back, um, mm-hmm. and it can be hard to test the same material st- starting in the same place. You know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, and our last one, which kind of actually has some of the themes of this one, but... Um, it's a chapter verse reference, multiple answer from Second Peter three seven. The day of what? And the answer is judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And the question is, do we think the day of applies to the second answer? Because if it's just the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly, then day of, if it doesn't refer to that second thing as well, would not be a multiple answer. Oh, interpretation. Yeah. Okay. So we got to stay away from interpretation. So I guess it doesn't matter. Um, I think, I think, how's that for an awful answer from a theologian? (laughs) So the reason I think it doesn't matter, I'll I'll make the case here, is that I think to avoid any form of interpretation and only go off the words, we can look at it and say, it can apply, even though it may not. Therefore, we're going to say that it does apply. Sure. Like there's no, like, yeah, there's no way of looking at the verbatim text that we can say it absolutely does not apply. Yeah, either way, like we like we because it is ambiguous whether it applies or not. Therefore, the question writer gets to determine whether it applies or not. Mm-hmm. Those prepositional phrases always catch you in the in the worst case scenarios for a lot of these questions. Yep, you don't really know what's modifying what. Um, it does help though that um, for a chapter verse reference question where the quizzer has to provide a question, it's a pretty like obvious standard feeling question. So there's no uh, nothing too crazy there. I don't think that, I, well, I mean, part of the other thing that I might look at is, is the question confusing or tricky or misleading, right? And I, I just, I don't think it would be, uh, because it, the day of, if you've got it as a reference, you know, chapter verse reference, you're looking for a multiple answer. Are there other things that you could pull? Well, heavens and earth, I guess there's other multiple answers that you pull from there. But if somebody's answer, if somebody jumps on a reference and quotes backwards, they're going to get this correct um if they've got three seven memorized so to me i'm i feel pretty comfortable with it well i think that's the last of our marked questions i've just scanned the other ones and there's nothing too too interesting there this kind of brings up three seven in the previous one on 220 kind of bring up a couple of thoughts in my mind around like we're, we're talking about like writing questions that conform to the rules. And that's, of course, you know, absolutely the the bare minimum standard. And then taking it beyond that, we're trying to write good quality questions. And we've talked somewhat about that in the past uh, and tried to come up with various different standards for what, 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 what justifies a question, not justifies, what allows us to call a question a better question than, than something else. And moving further and further away from tricky or misleading is certainly improves the quality of a, of a question. But I might take, or at least throw out there, especially since Zach is on the call here, and we can discuss this as if you guys agree or disagree or have any other sort of thoughts around it. But what about a standard that says, does the question encourage or discourage future memorization of the material? And and by that, I mean, ultimately, when I'm asking a question, I want to ensure that as long as the quizzer who jumps on the question uh, at, a, at an appropriate uh, time to be able to have enough material to be able to answer correctly, if they are able to remember what they've memorized, they can get the question correct without concern. To me, that that lends itself to being a good question. If there's a way a quizzer can jump properly, and I, I know that's a that's a very big topic <laughs> of like what does what does properly mean, right? Like like uh, in terms of speed and and you know pre jumping, post jumping, all that kind of stuff. But just for now, let's put that aside and just say like <laughs> if a, if a quizzer properly jumps and gets the gets called on. And they, they go up and they have the verse or surrounding verses in context, like word perfect memorized, and yet they still get an error. To me, that makes me question if the, if the question is a, a good quality question. Does that sound like a fair metric or do you guys want to add, destroy, alter that metric? No, I definitely think that's a, a, a good metric. And I, there's a few thoughts I have on things like this scenario. Um, 
I think we really need a a question writer's handbook. There's for me the rule book exists for the quizzers to understand how um, how quizzing works, and if it's in the rule book, you can uh, challenge on it. Now there are things in the rule book as it exists. I don't think it should be challenged on. Like I don't think you should be able to challenge if the verse is spiritually significant or a key verse or um, tricky and ambiguous. That's, we had a scenario earlier where that would make sense, but for the most part, we really don't allow that to be uh, a challenge. And this is where I think having a separate question writer's handbook, where we have some of those guidelines, where, yes, this is the rule for question writers, but quizzers can't challenge on this portion just because it just would cause so many... There's still the interpretation behind it. So even with your suggestion there, one person might suge- might interpret it one way, and like, oh, yeah, that's really easy for the quizzer to understand. They should be able to just un- pick it up immediately. But you hand it to the question writer to their left, and instantly you have a slightly different interpretation of uh, the difficulty of that question. And uh, that's where some of that was weird. All these rules that we'd love to kind of have in place um, make sense to me in like a, hand, uh, a question writer's handbook where we can kind of have those all gathered together. Yeah, it does show like there's many different purposes of either procedures or rules, right? Because mm-hmm. there's things in the rule book that are really meant for how question writers should like write questions, mm-hmm. like the spiritual significance part. But then um, it's hard to then separate it out once you get to the competition part where you're like, well, what if I have a different interpretation of how this <laughs> rule is applied than the question writer did? Mm-hmm. When it's not really the point of it, but if there are different goalposts for different quizzers or districts, then you don't want that either. Um, but I, it does make sense to me that there could be a question writer's handbook where there's a lot more, not prescription necessarily, but mm-hmm. um, more talk around best practices and really good questions that should never be up for challenge at a quiz, right? Um, exactly. Because we really, we really just want something to be clear. But yeah. And I would go back and forth on whether I would allow a challenge or misleading because I like Mm -hmm. the ability for the quizzers to do it. I still have a pretty high bar for me to accept a challenge on those grounds, Mm -hmm. but I like that it's there so that if something happens and something is, you know, in the situation where like, hey, this this was really tricky that I have some Mm -hmm. recourse to do something about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the example from earlier with it saying, I know it wasn't the exact question, but if you're telling someone to go from a plural down to a singular, that's a great example of a, a good use case for that tricky and ambiguous uh, rule. Did we answer or give you thoughts, Griffin, that yeah, matched your questions? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Should we move on to our next topic? Yeah, what's up? All right. So this is on question types. Um, now, the first question type is reference questions. And I can't remember how this discussion got started, but... Um, I think it was with Jeremy. Um, but why, what are the reasons, um, and are they good reasons, that we do not have reference questions at early meets in the year that are valid when only considering the material that we are quizzing on? Okay, yeah, I remember this conversation. Um, because I think, the, I think the honest answer is that because to try to factor that in is really, really, really hard. So then here's the question. Let's say in, there's some magical world where we can know if a question is valid by these criteria, right? If it's a valid chapter reference based on only material for this meet, is it better to have um, only questions that meet that standard if we can snap our fingers and have it be so? So essentially you're saying filter the reference questions that, yeah, I mean, the problem is in that in the first meet or two, I mean, maybe you have almost no reference questions. Or no, no, sorry, it'd be the other way around. You'd have tons and tons of reference questions, right? Yeah, well, you'd have tons of chapter reference because yeah, you're only yeah, considering yeah. a few chapters. You'd have the same number of CBRs. Um, so the proportion would, would go crazy. True. See, okay, I, okay, so it would be the proportion between the chapter-only references and the chapter-verse references, but your total count of reference questions would remain static because of the overall governing selection rules. So it's really just, you know, CVRs increase earlier in the year relative to the total and decrease later in the year relative to the total. Yeah, because I mean, let's say you're a quizzer and there's a valid reference question that's long. So like, um, the day will come that what, something like that. Um, And it occurs in chapter one and chapter 20. 
do we think it's misleading for Gwizzard to jump on this CVR in Chapter 1 at the first meet and need to know that this is a valid chapter verse reference question because of Chapter 20? No, I don't think it's required. I mean, I mean, I, I think... I think the reason it's not a big deal is because it, it, when it's a CVR, you're providing more information than less. Um, so, I mean, it, there would be more opportunity to be able to get the, get the question right, not not less of a chance to get the question right because you're providing more information, right? Depending on how you interpret the the newest wording in situation in a what about reference question is. Oh, how new? <laughs> well, the, the determining reference word or phrase. You know, if the question that's written is the day will come that what is is that whole phrase the determining reference word or phrase, or if they say the day that the day what that still has the same total information but is a wording wise much different question, would you say that it does not have the determining reference word or phrase? And I have no idea how to interpret and apply that. Hmm. Zachary, what do you think? Oh, I I as a quizzer, my re- references were never my <laughs> my specialty, and even as a coach and district leader, they're still not my re- uh, specialty. Um, I think, going back a little bit further than that, I do think having a lot of reference questions at the beginning of the year and then you start to dwindle down, um, I, I see pros and cons to that on both sides. Well, the pro is quizzers have a lot more energy at the beginning of the year. They're a lot more determined to, to memorize things, at least from my experience. And as the year goes down, so does a lot of their determination levels. Um, so that would kind of be nice. You get a lot of references at the beginning, and then you start to slowly transition to quite a few less. Um, but then at the same time, it is a lot for a quizzer to take in right at the beginning of the year because almost every single, or not almost every single, but a lot of the interrogatives would instantly get turned into chapter uh, chapter references. Um, as far as that little more detailed piece, I really don't know. I'd have to look at it a little bit closer to understand and Look at that rule book again for that for that clarity. Technologically, so I mean, this is all under the this is all under the umbrella of we have a magic button that allows us to do this. Um, and I've, of course, I'm trying really hard to prevent myself from thinking how would I code this into CBQZ. Um, but the assuming that there's a magic button that lets us do this, I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. But I don't know that it really buys us all that much. I don't know that there's, I mean, it, it seems like it would be a fairly hefty effort to create the magic button. And I don't know that it really gets us anywhere. Yeah. It was interesting as I reasoned through the different things that I thought, because the first thing was, well, we probably don't do this because of the tremendous overhead on question writers. But then my next question was, well, what if it was technologically possible to just hit that magic button? Is it better then? And then you're kind of onto, well, usually people jumping on reference questions know the whole material um, thus far for the year. And it's not, it's probably not misleading to people. Like, how often is a quizzer that knows a small amount of material going to jump on a CVR and be fouled, um, error specifically on providing the question because they don't know that it's a valid reference question from elsewhere? But also, even when I jumped on chapter reference questions, I was not the type who would kind of scan the material and see like, oh, I, I have a sense that this occurs elsewhere, you know, before I give it as a question. Usually I had written questions and I knew that this was a valid one. But I know that some quizzers kind of just scan the material mentally and are like, oh, okay, I, th- I think I know where this is. And then they'll give that as a valid chapter reference question, in which case they could potentially be fouled up if we're at meet one and there's five chapters and they scan it and don't find it anywhere. Um, but I also don't want to say like, I don't think this is a problem for many, if any, to be the reason that we don't do it necessarily, you know, maybe there's a tiny, tiny amount of value, but there's a tremendous cost. And so the ROI is, is incredibly small. Yeah. It just seemed weird that, you know, an interrogative is always going to be a valid interrogative. Um, but a chapter reference, if you just limit your scope, is not necessarily always going to be a valid chapter reference. Or, you know, it's just kind right. of funny. For most types, the type wouldn't change based on how much material we're quizzing on. But for reference questions, and then I guess potentially like a, a quote only or something, um, it could. But that's that's about it. Um, how are we doing on time, Griffin? Pretty good? Or? Oh, oh, yeah, we're great. Keep going. All right. All right. So the next one was, I guess this is a pet peeve of mine, but... On reference questions, we've changed 
a little bit of the rules recently, um, specifically around those those pesky 50-50 reference questions, which admittedly are not common. Um, but one of the arguments of why whatever question the quizzer gives you is the one you kind of have to accept. And if it's the opposite 50-50, we're going to rule them wrong. Um, be, and I think one of the main reasonings for that is, well, the quizzer jumped before the end before the complete question was read, and just like every other type, you might have some uncertainty about what the actual answer is going to be, in this case, the question. Um, but on an interrogative, you might jump on four words, and those words occur more than once, and you have do not have certainty, and you have to guess one of them. And if they're in different contexts, then you'll be called wrong. Um, and I think that this is that is a perfectly reasonable um, argument to make, um, kind of treating all the questions as equal in how we treat um, jumping before the end of the question. You're accepting a level of uncertainty as a quizzer. On the flip side, I, I think of reference questions as probably um, the hardest type, just thinking about questions in a very general sense, um, and probably the type that requires quizzers to know the material the best. Um, it could be that quizzers that work really hard on reference questions do have a better grasp of the entire material than quizzers who work really hard on any other specific question type. And so this kind of led me to ask the question, how do we kind of roll between pure equality of question types when it comes to, for example, treat, uh, how we treat pre-jumps, or not pre-jumps, jumping before the entire question is read, versus how much our rules encourage or discourage work on this question type and thus material memorization, if I've phrased that well. Could you phrase it a slightly different way? Because I was following you up until near the end, but then I stopped following you. So I think with the new language to reference questions, it makes them a slightly, very slightly less attractive type to work hard on, which um, if my earlier statement that quizzers that specialize or work hard on reference questions have a better grasp of the material than quizzers that work hard on other question types, um, then in general, we have less material memorization, which is the point of everything. So how do we balance like a rule set that, oh yeah, the way we treat scenario A, scenario a scenario for interrogatives is the exact same for how we treat it for quotes and CRs and FTs versus kind of changing some of our rules to encourage the most material memorization, which is the kind of roughly the point of the question type uh, minimums and maximums, and is also largely why it was changed recently to decrease multiple answers and increase finished questions, quote questions, because those encourage memorization of the whole material. Right. Well, I mean, I'm always going to be generally and philosophically in favor of something that goes to the core mission of the program, right? The the mission, you know, in our, in our sort of uh, rephrased uh, version of it is get the most number of quizzers to memorize the most amount of material. And so anything that encourages that I'm behind anything that discourages that I'm not behind. So, you know, in terms of like difficulty, I think, you know, key verse list limitations aside. Uh, and of course we don't have that in internationals or internationals. Um, <laughs> but putting that aside for a moment, I, uh, well, I think we, we don't we don't because we just kind of say that we don't. But the rule book remains the same for the definition that's of true. The questions. That's, I mean, that's ev true. Everyone knows that we kind of don't do that anymore, but it's still there. That's true. That's true. Like like not every verse could be legitimately asked as a quote question, uh, whereas just about every verse could probably be a CVR. I mean, there's probably a, a bad CVR in every verse. How's that? Sure. Um, yeah. But so then I guess, uh, but, but amongst those questions, I think, I think a quote question is probably slightly harder. Uh, I mean, it, it requires word perfect. Uh, it, it, you, you have to know your references, obviously that kind of stuff. Um, but of course, again, with the quote question, it's sort of like, maybe I'm convincing myself it's not harder because with a quote question, as long as I am able to get the reference, assuming I have perfect material knowledge, right? So, you know, in my brain is a computer and I have all of scripture uh, encoded into my brain. Uh, as long as I am jumping such that I'm able to win the jump and fully know the reference that you've, you've spoken, 
I will get that question correct, right? There's there's no way I the only way I get that question incorrect is by jumping too soon and guessing a six versus a seven or a four versus a five or something like that. And or I don't have the material uh, as as well memorized as I should. That's the only way I get those wrong, right? And so for me, like the quote question is is like a, an idealistic question in quizzing because it absolutely promotes memorization, right? Like like if I get it wrong, it can only be my fault, right? There there isn't really any other way to slice it. Um, whereas with a you know reference questions it is entirely possible to have situations where I can do everything right and still get the question. I can still get counted incorrect. Um, and that's always bugged me. Um, and it always but, feels like, but it's well, a yeah. little bit different. It's a little bit different because, um, if by doing everything correctly, you mean jumping when the question is fully done being read, then it's at the same standard. Well, true, true. No, I guess what I'm saying is let's say you jump, I guess what I'm saying is jump as early as you can such that the answer is how to describe this. Let's say you jump as early as you can such that the answer is plausible. But then again, yeah, okay. Okay, I see where you're coming from, right? Because essentially you're saying, well, you you can't jump before the differentiator between a six or a seven on a quote question and expect to not be counted incorrect and ditto on a reference question, even though it's much further along the way. Um, yeah, I guess. Cause what I've come to be- like, know is that my preferred way of ruling on reference questions is treating a jump on a reference question before the full question is read differently than a jump on a different question type before the full question is read. And I'm fine with that because I think the end result is really good because if someone's going to jump on just the reference, um, quote me a whole verse from out of 800 verses and identify the specific area that I'm in and give me a valid um, question of this type, I'm fine with there being um, a little bit more leniency of the specificness, (laughs) Um, even though there is now inconsistency with how you treat jumps before the full question is read of different question types. Is this maybe a rule that should be different depending upon the context of the quizzing, uh, the level of quizzing? I mean, so like at, at the district level, uh, it's it's one way, but at internationals, we think of it as a different way? Um, potentially, but you could argue that the quizzers jumping on this question of the district are largely the ones, <laughs> are the same types of quizzers <laughs> jumping on them at internationals, you know, like yeah, that's you're, true. You're, effect, you're affecting the same group of quizzers at the end of the day, roughly well, speaking. Well, sort of, well, sort of though. I mean, I mean, if I'm a quizzer, if I'm a, you know, maybe a rookie or my second year and I'm okay, but I'm definitely not internationals bound, let's say, um, I want, I mean, you want to have a program in questions such that like, I shouldn't. I should never be like, wow, I would have never gotten that, even though I know the verse, right? It should be more along the lines of, oh, I didn't jump fast enough, or I jumped too fast and I didn't get enough information, or whatever, right? That should, because in, in that regard, I'm, I'm spurned to go back to the material. Spurned is not the right word. I am encouraged to go back to the material and study harder, right? Because I can say, oh, okay. I, I knew that verse, but I didn't know it well enough to get the question correct, right? To either get the jump or get the question uh, on the jump, right? Um, but I don't want to see a situation where, like, I totally have it memorized, but I jump incorrectly. I, I jump a little bit too soon, but I I really did know the verse, and I still didn't get it correct on a technicality. Um, and so, like, at the, at the internationals level, somebody who let's say call it pre-jumps, but it's not really a pre-jump, jumps too soon on a CVR, that, uh, or a chapter reference, that to me is much less disincentivizing than to do the same sort of activity at the district level. Does that make sense? Yes, that does make sense. But at the same time, I am wholly unconvinced that my opinion on this is correct. I mean, I think largely I just don't like change because I think quizzers that have been internationals kind of had an idea like, okay, how fast do I need to jump to be pretty assured of getting this right? And on quotes and CVRs, you knew that it was the reference. Um, and on other question types, you had kind of an idea where the like very safe speed is and where the slightly faster speed was. But then now the reference is no longer the safe point on chat reference references. Um, 
even if it's only a small percentage less safe, if that makes yeah. sense. And I was going to just add in there the so I tend to I tend to fall into the camp of it was an early jump, just like it would be an early jump for a quote if you didn't jump before the if you jump before the verse number was given. Um, but then to me, the solution to that is it it would take a little bit of teaching and learning on the quizzers part, um, but it would just teach them to jump a hair bit slower on on these reference questions. Um, just as, it, again, it would take a long time, because you're right, a lot of the international quizzers knew, oh, I know exactly when I'm allowed to jump on reference questions, I can get it every time. And this definitely did change that. It changed the whole strategy for a lot of people. Um, but it does only take maybe two, three years, and then eventually people realize, oh, yeah, you just got to jump on the first word, not the, not the, uh, or the first syllable of the words, not the first syllable of the verse number. So it is like yeah, a question that you would get. Yeah, and I, I'm not. I don't think that the effort required on the quizzer to adapt is large at all. But I think that the speeds haven't adapted to the point um, where the expected accuracy is the same as it was before when jumping on the reference. Um, to get to that same expected accuracy, you would probably need a little bit like a shape after the reference. And there's still such a large proportion mm -hmm. of reference questions jumped on just the reference, meaning that your expected accuracy as a quizzer is lower than it once mm -hmm. was, which I think decreases it as an attractive, um, decreases its a relative attractiveness as a type to study. No, and I, I can definitely understand that. And on the inverse of that, well, less people are now studying to study it. And that same thing uh, happens where now less people are studying it. So I might as well start studying it myself. And then you might get one of those uh, balloon effects afterwards as well. That is the argument. The other argument is that every question type is... Um, can be um, treated equally based on jumping speed, and everything is just this pendulum where people are like, oh, this is most attractive, this is least attractive, and then that just changes where people study, which then changes the relative attractiveness of other types, and mm -hmm. it's always kind of shifting. All right, so on to my last, my last um, question on question types. So um, if you notice from our discussion on marked questions, it was largely around multiple answers and what is a valid multiple answer. And there's been lots of discussions on what's a valid multiple answer. Do we want to include positive and negative multiple answers? Do we want to include multiple answers where, quote, the question is not answered, unquote? Um, and there's often lots of kind of murkiness around a valid multiple answer. So my idea was to, um, well, actually, this doesn't solve that per se, so that, that was a terrible, terrible lead-in. Um, but my, what my lead-in should have been is we recently decreased the number of multiple answers per quiz to now it's just, I believe, one to two um, and up to finish and quote questions. So now as a result, there's like very, very few multiple answers relative to what there once was. But it still has some validity as a type. Um, what if we just lumped it under interrogatives? So we said um, it still has its own type, so it's kind of like a finish this, finish this, and the next, finish these two, where it still falls under the finish umbrella, and there's three to four. But multiple answers would now fall under the interrogative umbrella, where there's, is it nine to 14, a quiz or something like nine that? To, nine to 16. Um, but it would retain its own its definition as it still has as a, as a type. And then we don't just have this like kind of weird type out there with a scant one to two. Um, and then just randomly you might get Three in a quiz, you might get zero, but it's under this interrogative kind of umbrella, just like you might get one finish this in a quiz, you might get one in multiple in quizzes right in a row, or you might not see one for seven straight quizzes. Um, and then it kind of cleans up the, um, the type requirements a little bit. Well, I'm of a few different minds here. I mean, I still go back to the notion of maybe we should just get rid of the multiple answer type entirely. Uh, rather than just folding it in. So I might, you know, take it a step further than what you're even proposing. I don't know that I have any reason to not like merging it with interrogatives. I mean, we've got the, we are, we already have say multiple answer chapter reference and multiple answer chapter verse reference merged with reference and not counted in the multiple answer, uh, umbrella or, or, or type range, which has always bugged me because 
a multiple answer chapter reference question is a multiple answer question as much as it is a reference question, but I mean, not to reopen that can of worms or anything. So, I mean, if we took multiple answers and merged them in or into interrogatives, I think I would feel less annoyed about having this sort of standalone multiple answer category. But at the same time, like I keep wondering, we have, what, what does the multiple answer type as defined, or even with a shift in its definition, bias, but a bunch of questions all the time of, is this question a multiple answer question or not? I'm with you up until one sticking point, and that's reference multiple answers. Because I think I'm fine with multiple answers going away, because then we never have to talk about whether something is a multiple <laughs> answer or not. But when it comes to reference questions, when you're requiring quizzers to give a question, um, knowing whether there's one or more than one answer, like dramatically informs the question that I'm going to give and the amount of material that I need to quote um, when the quiz master is just looking at me as I'm quoting. And I, and I think the prompting and that whole dance of answering would become very problematic if there is no um, reference multiple answers. I agree. Um, I would, how about this? What if we merge interrogative and multiple answer as it currently stands, multiple answer as it is currently defined, right? So not the multiple answer reference questions. So that such that we have only two types, uh, interrogatives and references, and both of those two types contain multiple answers. And we define multiple answer as we have normally defined it uh, in terms of the rules of what constitutes a multiple answer. But we also stipulate that the difference between a multiple answer and, an, and a not multiple answer is unchallengeable. I, but I think that only... That only eases the work for officials, right? right. Well, I'm all, really, I'm all I'm all about being lazy. Sure, but I think we care most about what's a multiple answer, what's not, so that the quizzers like are at being asked what they expect. Right. Like, I mean, I don't really care if something's a little bit harder for me as an official if it's better for the quizzers. But then, wouldn't we? And I totally agree. But then, wouldn't we then say we should actually increase, not decrease, the significance of multiple answers? Because I mean, who now makes multiple answer lists and studies them as they did in the days of yore? Wait, what is your reasoning for what you just said? Um, I am not sure. Like, why would you say like why wouldn't we increase the number of them instead of decreasing them as we have? Like, what was your basis for? Asking. Well, so, so back in, back in the days of yore, there were, and you used to be a multiple answer list maker, weren't you? Uh, well, I, not specifically. Not specifically. But I, okay. But I'm remembering there were, there were people who like obsessed over multiple answer questions. And this was back in the day when we had quite a lot of them. And also multiple answer reference questions were counted as multiple answer questions, right? So there's, there was quite a few multiple answers within a particular quiz. And uh, there were people who made lists upon lists upon lists and studied them extensively so they could become a multiple answer specialist. And I, and I don't know that we have, we've, we sort of disincentivize multiple answers to the point where very few people do that anymore. But that was by design because you, you could write a multiple answer list, study only that list because you can be very assured of the amount of material required in a question and answer. Um, mm -hmm. And you could study I'm ballparking it 20% of the material, like just kind of word count wise, um, and dominate multiple answers and average a 30 or a 45, you know, like very, very good. Um, and um, there was a desire to decrease the reward from studying only 20% of the material and increase the reward from finish and quote questions from studying the entire material. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I, and I agree with that. And so then you get into the question of like, well, why do we have question types? Like, how do we pick the minimums and maximums? And it's all just kind of a feel thing, right? Like, I think more types is good in a very general sense in that it's interesting and it gives people options and different kind of um, formats and structures of questions. And that's a good thing, right? Um, but then we flip it and look at the implementation and say, like, is this problematic? Does it end up being tricky or misleading? Uh, does it incentivize the things that we want, right? And there's mixes of yeses and nos to all of those questions. Um, and that's why there's always minor changes intended to kind of shift the incentives slightly. Well, Zach, do you have any thoughts on this one? Well, I, I do have just two quick thoughts. Actually, I'll, I'll add in a third one. Um, I do think it's interesting. We always, we always question what a multiple answer is. Um, 
And part of that is I've just looked at the rule book here. Uh, a multiple answer is defined in exactly four sentences, um, where all the other ones take up a lot more information to kind of define it. Um, so it's no wonder we, we have a hard time defining what is a multiple. Um, and I do agree. I think it's, it is, I say it almost every quiz, because when the multiple comes up, it's a rarity. And it's, I tell the quizzers, oh, here is your one multiple answer for the quiz. Um, and they're, they're kind of used to it. We don't have anyone in our district doing just multiples anymore. And we definitely used to have that. And we had quizzers that would make it to internationals, and they had gone, uh, gone to internationals based solely because they knew the, the multiple list so well that they ranked top in our district. Um, you, you get the multiples in every quiz years previous. You could throw in one or two questions uh, from an interrogative or something like that, and then you'd instantly be able to quiz out every quiz. And if you really knew your lists and you were good at making lists, then, then there was no way you weren't making it into the top five, top ten. Um, and so I do think that we've, we've really greatly diminished uh, the motivation for um, study multiples, and I do agree, it was by design, because we, we don't want, the whole purpose is to get quizzers to memorize uh, the scripture. So we don't want, <laughs> we don't want to give an out for memorizing more by saying, hey, you can study this 20% and get there. Um, I don't know what the solution is for, for changing uh, multiples or how that really goes. I, I can see both sides of getting rid of the multiple. I can see the both sides of lumping in with the interrogative. I've even heard it argued, well, Multiples and chapter verse reference with multiples should be one, and then interrogatives with chapter verse ref just a chapter ref verse reference should be lumped into one. Um, don't say that's the right idea, but it just I hear so many different thoughts on how to how to fix multiples, and it really leaves me kind of stumped on what is uh, what would be a, a good. I don't think there is the a right solution for multiples at this point, um, but what would be a good one? And then Scott, I actually do have a question for you. You brought up. Um, merging multiples underneath uh, interrogatives. Just out of curiosity, what would you call interrogatives then? Would you call them single answer questions? Would you call them something different? Or would you still call it interrogative with a multiple answer? Yeah, I guess you're right, because finish the verses are called something different, and there isn't a name for the category. Mm -hmm. um, and technically, multiple, well, I mean, technically everything's in inter almost every question yeah. is an interrogative. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, you could call them, you could still just call them interrogatives and multiple answers, You could, which would be not, the super cleanest um, names, but I think everyone would be fine with them. But but you could also call them single answers or multiple answers. I think two possible solutions. Um, I think one is you mer you get rid of multiple answers altogether, but there would have to be a good way to handle or reference multiple answers. And I haven't thought tons and tons about it. I just feel like if I was quoting through the material and I didn't know if I was going for a multiple or a single answer, it would be a lot more problematic to find that reference question. Um, so I don't know if someone is thinking of something that I just haven't that's super simple. I would clear that up because I think getting rid of it altogether could be quite clean. But I think the other way to go is to actually define it in a um, more succinct way. I find that the more that you attempt to get rid of corner cases by using a more specific wording, you create more of them and often more confusing ones, which is why I like that there isn't a super like definite definition of going out of context. It's just this kind of like super vague thing <laughs> because we don't, we didn't want it to be like, Oh, you said four verses in a row from a different context. Boom. You're out of context. Mm -hmm. um, but we also didn't want, you know, we also didn't really want quizzers just quoting from all over the place to try to hunt around for the answer. Um, so I like that that one is kind of vague. It puts a lot more onus on the quiz master, and there might be some slight inconsistencies between rooms, but I think at the end of the day, that's better for the quizzers. And so I think similarly, similarly with multiple answers, and I think this is something that you've brought up, Griffin, is you could just say, like, if there's like more than one answer to the question, and that's like all that you write about it, <laughs> <laughs> um, where it can be interpreted a lot more liberally, and maybe there will be more multiple answers that don't feel crazy multiple answery but um everyone is then kind of more prepared for i guess more possible questions in general and then there's going to be less um, nitpicking and or confusion about the specific line you know what i mean mm -hmm. so um yeah because it, it doesn't really do anyone any good to keep talking about is this or is this not um you just want to have something that's clear enough for 98 or 99% of possible multiple answers that people are going to write. 
I mean, it basically one advantage to having the multiple answer type is it gives us a, a fair number of things to talk about on the podcast. But, um, <laughs> you know, is it is it is it beneficial for quizzing uh, and for quizzers? Uh, I don't know. TBD, I guess. Um, <laughs> and on that bombshell, we should probably close here. So I want to thank uh, Zachary for joining us, our special guest for this episode. And want to remind everybody, if you are interested in learning more about internet, interne- oh, I can't say it. Okay, I'm going to try it again. If you're interested in learning about internationals, please contact uh, Zach. And you can do that either via his email address or Facebook, or you can email us on the show and we'll forward you along uh, to Zachary. So, of course, we would very much like to hear from you if you agree or disagree, and especially if you disagree or if you have uh, other sorts of questions or thoughts about quizzing, please email us at iq at cbqz.org. And you can follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter account is at Inside Quizzing. And on the Bible Quizzing Slack forum, we also have a, a channel called uh, Pound Inside Dash Quizzing that you can join and ask questions of us between podcast episodes. And with that, I will say thank you to everybody. And thanks, Zach and Scott. Thank you. Thanks for, for listening, me. everybody.